Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody. Hey. Two or three little things while you're turning to the 20th chapter of the book of, <clears throat> of Proverbs, just that one verse. verse. But, um, and while you're doing that, let me point out to you that if you're a first-time visitor, be sure and stop by the, the uh, welcome table. We've got a, a little gift for you and uh, uh, want to get some information. And on the table at the base of the runway out there, there are several of these books entitled A Case for Christ. Today is the concluding message from the book of Proverbs. We'll be studying for the next several weeks issues about the Lord himself. And this book is a help. And we got a whole bunch of them for about six bucks a piece delivered. And ordinarily they're 10 or $12. And uh, and if you don't have the $6, take a book and read it and, and owe us. And uh, we won't let you into heaven until you pay up. But other than that, it's okay. But there's about a dozen left. We're going to have to order another box of them. So uh, if, you'll, if you can read, take them with you. And if you can't read, give it to somebody who can. So they're just 6 bucks a piece. That's what we paid for them. Um, let's see here. I think that's all I needed to say ahead of time. But this is the last in a series from the book of uh, <clears throat> Proverbs. Remember that Proverbs primarily were written by Solomon. There were a few others there that were inserted into the book. And the, the image that you have is that he is taking the time to teach his children, especially the oldest one who is to succeeded him and then caused a split. Um, so like most kids, he didn't listen. If kids could ever figure out that parents are trying to keep them from making the same stupid mistakes that we made and, and would listen to us, they would fare a, a tad better. But it doesn't happen very often. They look at us as old fogies who don't know what we're talking about and... Uh, let it go at that. The, um, the subject that we have is entitled Avoiding Wrath. Avoiding Wrath. Now, there's something you need to, to know ahead of time from my point of view in the message we have here. The assumption of Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. The assumption of Scripture is that in life, Sooner or later, you're going to experience some hurt from somebody. That's going to happen. The, the natural reaction, spontaneous reaction to hurt is usually anger. The next step beyond anger, if it isn't dealt with properly, is I'm going to get even. And when we use the word wrath here, it really is replacing the term get even. The process is get hurt, get angry, get even. And what we're going to try to prove is that getting even virtues is virtually evil. It can be avoided. That's where we're headed. And we'll end up by showing you as best we can that replacing good, overcoming evil with good is a thing of absolute beauty. And it's extremely impressive. It's a thing of beauty, and it's extremely impressive, even though it isn't easy. An old friend of mine who's dead now, he helped start the church here, Harold Dix. We were in school together way back in the 50s. Used to say, he had this saying. He actually stole it from a Baptist preacher in Memphis, Tennessee. I read it in a book later on. He used to say, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. 
And I kind of bought into that because when you're more interested in evangelism and church growth than you are in maturing believers, you'll buy into that. As I've gotten closer to heaven age-wise, you think about that a little bit differently. And I, it's still a good thing, to, but I think heavenly-minded is to be preferred. I really do, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Church growth emphasizes getting people saved, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what we've talked about is salvation apart from what Jesus commanded us to do. In that 28th chapter of Matthew, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he told us, and then you baptize them. And you to then he said, and this process is to lead to making disciples. Disciples are not just converts. You can be converted without being a disciple. A disciple is an individual who realizes that our job is more than just getting to heaven. We have a job to do here, and that's why we were converted. That's why the Lord reached out to us through the preaching of the gospel. We need to get past just the converted stage to the place in our life where the life that we live is a walking, talking recommendation of the kingdom of God. And we, because you see, the Bible clearly teaches that you, if you are a convert to Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, you have dual citizenship. And the Bible actually teaches that. If you go to the third chapter of, of the book of Philippians, you will see that the Apostle Paul actually refers to that. He says, concerning earthly things, he goes on and says, but our citizenship, referring back to the converts, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await Christ's next coming. You have dual citizenship. You're citizens of this earth, but when you're born twice. You see, you can be born twice, and if you are, you only die once. But if you are born once, you die twice. You've got to keep that in mind. You're born again, and see the whole, and you probably get tired of hearing me say it, but the, the whole principle and the beauty of baptism as a teaching tool, and it's essentially what it is. It is a teaching tool, and it actually teaches two different things that are both very basic. One, it teaches that when you become a Christian from God's point of view, you become a new person. You are, the scripture says, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're starting all over again. And so the old person that you were is buried in baptism. And that's in several places in the New Testament. Then the other thing that's taught there is, is about life and your, and your new birth into the kingdom of God. Obey the, the, and, and, but the Bible uses the natural process to demonstrate a spiritual truth. The natural process is what? There's the, the conceiving of the baby in the, in the womb of the mother. And when the time comes, there's the bursting of the water of the womb and the delivery of new life. One of the most beautiful things on the face of the earth. And baptism teaches that in the resurrection. Here you come up out of the water. There's the bursting of the water of the womb and the first breath. They used to whack them on the butt to, to get them to take their, their first breath. I don't know, Jennifer, why you do that or not. I don't think you do much anymore. Do you? She, 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 she's no longer a butt wiper. According to her head, it's going like that. So that's okay. But there's, that's our first breath. And see, the first breath is, is teaching us that as a new convert, there's the inhaling of the presence of the Spirit of God never to leave us nor forsake us. All of that is spelled out. And it's in particular, if you want to read about it, you go to the third chapter of the book of John where Jesus is trying to explain this to Nicodemus who is a, you know, an educated man uh, in Judaism. Because in the Old Testament, that didn't hardly work that way. 
In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people in order to equip them to carry out a specific job. The easiest one to remember would probably be Samson. You remember he took the jawbone of an ass and, and did something that no one could do naturally. The Spirit of God. But after that, he was such an ornery old cuss that the Spirit of God left him. In the New Testament, when we're born into the kingdom of God and get our citizenship in heaven, the Bible clearly teaches in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews that the Spirit of God that is inhaled at, con at the time of our conversion never leaves us nor forsakes us. Now, sometimes we get so distracted that we're unaware of his presence, but nonetheless, the promise of Scripture is that he's there all the time. So... What I'm wanting to do in light of that little bit of a background for believers is to talk about this system that the Scripture talks about that is a problem to all of us to some degree. Again, sooner or later in life, because as a citizen of the kingdom of God, your life is going to, to rough up against some edges in the, this world and our world, our earthly citizenship, is defined in Scripture as a sinful nature. Most of the things, I don't know why we get so upset about the, the conditions of the world being so bad when the Scripture has taught that all the time. We live in a hostile atmosphere, and the prince of this world, according to the Scripture, is the Satan himself. And all you have to do is to look around. That's the reason Jesus said, look, there are always going to be wars and rumors of wars. There are always going to be the poor because they're going to be the strong who want to use the poor to help them stay strong. And that's going to go on until the end of time. And in the midst of this, those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of God are to the best of our ability to bring the principles of heaven itself to bear here on earth to testify to our God who we worship and who's number one in our life. Now, with that background, we're going to look at this text because the, the issue here is wrath or the desire to get even. The text that we have here in the 20th chapter, verse 22, says this, Do not, and this is Solomon now, the wisest man in the Old Testament, saying, Do not say... I'll pay you back for this wrong. Don't say that. In, and then the, the end of this we'll, get to, we'll repeat here in just a minute. But wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. The truth of the matter is we don't wait very well. It's, what is that advertisement on, the, on television? It's my money and I want it now. It's my money, and I want it now. That's the way we really are. We want everything snap, 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 and it's mine, my, da, 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 because we're so self-centered. But Christian maturity, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the study of the Scriptures, the encouragement of the brethren, helps us to get to the place where we're no longer self-centered, but are Christ-centered. And through the years... I, for one, have not done a very good job of helping people get past the, the convert level to the disciple level where we're outgrowing the selfish nature to become and so that we can get to the place where we can recommend Christ by the life and the attitude that we display. Now, follow along with me if you have the bulletins here. The number one says, the desire to get even is earthly, not spiritual. And uh, if, you, if you look carefully at that fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, there is a contrast between the earthly and the spiritual. He spells that out with a great deal of care uh, here in the book of Galatians. And by the way, Galatia is a province, not a city here. This is a whole area. And um, so listen to what he says here in, in, uh, in this fifth chapter. He says, so I, this is starting verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature is that self-centered thing that all of us have by nature. Everything is centered on ourselves. 
when we become Christ-centered, we're more concerned about what people think of him than us. And that's not easy to achieve, I might say. He keeps on saying, because the point here is now, by nature, and, and new converts are still governed primarily by the natural. And it takes a while to grow past that self-centeredness through the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of, of our, our believers in Christ, and the study of the Scriptures, and a desire to get there. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And then it uses this term. They're in conflict with one another. In another place, it says they're at war with each other. There's a spirit war that goes on in our lives when we become Christians. Now, that being said, anger is one of those things that is, falls under the category of the sinful nature. And anger is a spontaneous response. We seldom ever sit down and say, I'm going to get angry and work on it. It usually comes as a result of something that happens. Then we get angry about it. And the scripture addresses that very clearly. And, and it's in, still here in the book of Galatians where we just got through reading on this. goes back to the fourth chapter, verse 26. And, and, uh, and he makes it, you know, he, he deals with that whole problem of, uh, of anger that all of us have. He says this, be angry, but don't sin. And then he goes ahead and says, just don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if you don't deal with it in a spiritual way quickly, it will sit and fester, and the desire to get even will control your life. And all of us will get angry, because all of us, sooner or later, will be hurt by somebody. So the anger is going to be there, and since it's going to be there, we better learn to deal with it. And better learn to see what the scripture says about it. So uh, this whole business of, of, uh, of growing in Christ is something that we have kind of failed at, as I said, through the years. And, and I'll apologize for that because when I was out of Bible college and just out of seminary, we were pretty well taught that, the, that your, your reason for existing as a preacher is to lead, lead people to Christ. And that is true. But the primary responsibility is, according to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, is as a pastor teacher to help us grow in Christ to the extent that our life is a visible recommendation for the Christian life. It isn't easy, but it's a thing of beauty when the time comes. So I want to point out to you that anger is unavoidable. And anger in itself is not sin. It is only when it festers within us and isn't dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not talking about non-Christians here. We're talking about you and me, people who've been born again. How do we deal with this anger that we're going to sooner or later? And I look back over my life in the last week or so when I found out I was going to have to double dip and be here again today. I, I looked back and I said, okay, in my life, when were there... When were there times where the anger was so intense that I wanted the purpose person that caused me to be angry to suffer? And there were four that I could pinpoint immediately. And I, I mean, I, I not only wanted them to suffer, if somebody would have, if the Lord would have granted them a convenient heart attack, I would have been grateful. I mean, that anger is so intense if it isn't dealt with at the time that it can be sinful. And wishing somebody that kind of harm is sinful. It really truly is. And so, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, and, a per, and my point here is this, that acting on, a, a, acting on anger in a negative, harmful way is avoidable. You can avoid that. What did, it, what did Solomon say? 
do not say, I'll get even, I'll get even. As believers, we have to say, what can I do in this situation that honors Christ? How many times have you ever done that yourself? I can say for myself, not many. This is something that I've learned through the years the hard way. But because there have been those times, I'm just being honest with you, when, uh, when the, the, the anger morphed into hatred. And hatred is sinful. So the scripture says, don't say I'm going to pay you back. As believers, we have to step beyond that and say, how do I deal with this? I can't avoid it. I'm already hurt. How can I deal with this in a way that honors Christ? Now, so how should we think? What is the spiritual reaction to the hurt that we know we're going to get? What's the spiritual reaction to that? Well, first of all, I think we have to look to uh, what, what is, uh, what, what, how Jesus handled it. Jesus suffered hurt just like we have. To the extent that his best friends left him, walked away and left him. When he was hanging on the cross... Jesus was hurt physically. He was hurt spiritually because of the sins of people were heaped upon him. How did he handle that? He looked at the people who were killing him, who wished him kind of hurt, and he said what? Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. So that's the goal that you and I should have. Is it easy? Is it attainable? It is attainable, but we need help. I don't think we can do that just on our own because, you know, we're spiritually powerful. I think we need the help of the Holy Spirit, and we need the help of each other. If you have a friend that will, that will come to you when you're really, really messed up, and volunteer to help and encourage you to do the right thing, encourage you to seek the Lord, you've got a very special friend. And that's why we need each other in the body. And that's what fellowship really is. The word koinonia in the, in the Greek language means being able uh, to share, because it, it emphasizes sharing, in a non-threatening atmosphere. The church, the gathering of God's people, needs to be a non-threatening atmosphere where we know we, people will try to understand us and to help us and not condemn us. Now, the scripture says this, and this, this is where it gets really heavy. And this is in the 12th chapter of, of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a magnificent piece of spiritual literature and this 12th chapter is especially good because it gives us a hint of what has to take place if we're going to be able to cope with the kind of hurt that we're going to eventually experience the 12th chapter reads something like this best i can read therefore which is one of my favorite passages uh, words in scripture it means sit up and listen give me at least one ear therefore i urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Next verse is where I'm wanting to get to. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. We Christians have to learn to think differently. If we think like the, like the non-Christian or the, or the baby Christian, our behavior is going to be that. If, however, we can learn to, 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 to think differently, which means to think like Jesus, our behavior will be noticeably different. But we have to learn to think differently. Be not conformed. Think differently. 
And the scripture, he, he actually gets to the place here, and here's where it, gets, where it gets to be a sticky wicket. Here in this 14th chapter, or the 12th chapter, verse 14, he says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is what you can do. This is what you can do when you've learned to think like Jesus. But if you don't make that, if, you, if your goal isn't to think like Jesus, you're going to behave just like a non-Christian. And if we behave like a non-Christian, we have no testimony. And our testimony is to be what? It's to make, get people to think good about our God. Now, I'm going to point this out to you. Here's the negative end of it. The desire and the action of getting even is ugly. And it's, it, and it's a negative influence on God. And you and I, if we go that direction of getting even, are causing our very God to be badly thought about. The script, and, and, and there are several passages that address that subject over here in the, uh, in the book of Proverbs where we've been fiddling around. In, this 24, in the 24th chapter, down about verse, what, 17. Listen to what he says. That here's something we have to avoid as Christians when we're hurt so that God will not be badly thought about. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. And see what I was saying a while ago? I was gloating if my enemy would have been hurt. You know, send him a good convenient heart attack and let him go to somewhere. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. And I wrote out from that several years ago, ouch. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. For the Lord will see you and disapprove. Now, I've had people say to me, even last night, that's hard. You can't get to that. Then if that's hard and you can't get there, I already said it's hard because it's a, there's a conflict. There's a war going on within us. But if we can't get there, then the scripture's wrong. I'm saying you can get there through the, because you underestimate two things. You underestimate the power of Satan, and you, at the same time we have a tendency to underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer when we're committed to obeying the Spirit and not the flesh. You can overcome. You can because getting even is a desire of the sinful nature that should have been buried in the waters of baptism. Getting even is ugly. Do you remember when Jesus was being arrested? Judas had left and gone to uh, get his 30 pieces of silver and had leading the, the um, temple police back down to Gethsemane to, to arrest Jesus. And when they came upon him, Peter grabbed his sword, started swinging wildly, and cut off the ear of the servant of the chief priest. And Jesus said, hey, look, Pete, I can handle this. I have the capacity to call 12 legions of angels. Angels in this, the hosts of heaven is, is, is described in Scripture as the army of God. I can bring them all. Pete, you're interfering with something that needs to be done. He restored the ear of Malchus and, 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 and sent them on the way. Because he was, what Peter was doing was a spontaneous act of anger that was not dealt with in a spiritual way. Because in defense of Peter, at this time, he had not been empowered with the Holy Spirit. Peter was reacting naturally by the sinful nature. And when we react that way, it invariably is ugly and detrimental. The other place that the Scripture talks about, one of the things that we do when we don't get physical, is we use another sword 
that's even more effective in most cases. And that's here in the 16th chapter. And here's what it says. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. What most of us do instead of pulling a sword and cutting off somebody's ear is we use another sword. The scripture refers to it, a sword as a tongue. We begin saying little snide things about people we don't like, planting seeds of discord, trying to get people to think badly about the person who has done us hurt. When we do that, we are permitting our sinful nature to usurp the power of the Holy Spirit and our influence for the kingdom of God is destroyed. The scripture also, the book in the 17th chapter of the book of Proverbs, it talks about how when, the, when, when we know that things are, okay, we've been hurt, we're angry, and when we want to get even, we sit and we stew and we think about what can I do to get even? What is the old saying we like to cover up for ourselves? I don't get mad, I just get... Are you there? I don't get mad, I just get even. Yeah. Which is what the natural man usurping authority over the spiritual man to the detriment of the kingdom of God. I will admit it isn't easy to reach this level of spiritual maturity. But the Bible teaches that's what God wants from us who claim to be Christians, and nothing short of that. So I'll grant you, overcoming wrath isn't easy, but number one, it is possible. It is possible. And if if you go back to that 12th chapter of the book of, uh, of Romans where we were, he, he's addressing this subject with, with clarity and telling us what we need to do if we're going to be victorious. Here in verse 19, what he, say, he says this, listen carefully, because getting even and revenge is exactly the same thing. Granted, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, the truth of the matter is, we don't trust God to do that because we want it done now to our satisfaction. God says, look, you folks have been adopted into my family. This is from God's point of view. You're my children, and I'll look out for you. Don't you do what only I can do correctly. You've been hurt. You're angry. Trust me to fix it. And in the meantime, I want you to forgive this character or these folks, whoever it may happen to be, who've hurt you. And I'll take care of it. Our problem, we don't trust God to do what he said he'll do. And so we try to step in and do what only he can do correctly. The result of that invariably is something ugly. He says to to folks like you and me, same chapter now, same subject. Now we're looking at verse 20 and 21. Here's what he said. Here's what I want you to do to the person that hurt you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap coals of fire on his head. 21, do not, do not be overcome by evil, which means don't try to get even, but overcome evil with good. Now, when we do this, our testimony for who God is is greatly enhanced because that's what he did. His whole purpose of sending Jesus into the world was to overcome evil with good. And so he's saying, as my children, I want you to do the same thing. 
The result of that will be absolutely magnificent. The Bible is very clear. David illustrates this better than any, and this is a passage all of you will know, but you probably didn't think about it in this, in this way. You have to view yourself as the children of God. He's adopted you into his family, and he's the father. The responsibility of the father is what? To look after his family, to protect them, to see that they're fed, to see that they're cared for. And God has said, I'll take care of that. I will. David said it this way. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects the sheep from animals, sees that they find water to drink, and a field where there's pasture to eat. And he said, that's what God has done for me. And even though David at times was an ornery cuss, he's like all of us who are really good looking who have women problems. And the only women problem I ever had is sitting in the back row. She's, she's my first wife, you know. So, but anyhow, I'll hear about that. But I'll not get angry. Or even. All right. But the point here is what? God is our shepherd. He is our father. He's our heavenly father. He will look after us if we just trust him. Even in the most desperate situations, trust God to intervene. Trust your father to intervene on your behalf. And you then try to see what you can do to, in your behavior that will cause him to be well thought of. Now, to do this, you see, what I'm, where I'm headed here is this. You have to have goals in your life as Christians that are totally different from the goals in life of a non-Christian. The goal in the life of most of us before we became Christians was to make a lot of money, to have an easy life, to enjoy lots of things, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. There's nothing wrong with that being, that being the case, but that should not be your primary goal. As Christians, our primary goal is to do what we were saved to do, and that's to see that God, the creator of heaven and earth, is honored by our life. That should be our goal. And then there's some specifics that are spelled out here in this 12th chapter where he's talking about that. Looking at verse 16, he says what? He says, live in harmony with one another. Get along with each other. Make that a goal. Now, you see, what, here, here, here's the reason that he says that. We, we have to learn to think differently. And we have to learn to have, we have to set new goals for ourselves. And we want our goals to be in line with the goals that God has set for us. Then when we pray, we'll have answered prayer because we're praying to get accomplished what God has said I want done. Now, so you're praying then according to the will of God. I hope you're following me because you're following me because this really is important stuff. If we're ever going to get to the place where the church has a positive influence on the world in which we're living, where we can honestly say that the kingdom of our God have become the mores of the kingdom of this world he says this you know learned and in this in that same passage here in verse 18 he says what if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with one another get along with each other this assumes that in spite of the fact that each of us are less than perfect and are going to screw up every once in a while, we have to make allowance for that because sooner or later, same thing will happen to you and we need to make allowances. for. We need to make allowances for the fact that we aren't perfect in order to get along with one another. Jesus illustrated it really strongly when he was talking about the Roman soldiers that would come through Israel. That ultimately, it was the 10th legion under a guy named Titus that, that destroyed the temple and knocked down the walls of Jerusalem and, and killed all, and well, caused the people to commit suicide down at Masada. 
the army would go through a town, say like Portsmouth. The army of, of, of Rome would come through and the soldiers, let's say it's a centurion with 100 guys. These 100 guys that are marching through Portsmouth, carrying their backpacks, carrying spears, carrying swords, carrying food to get along, could, could say to the men in Portsmouth, hey, you, carry my backpack and my... And, and the law said they, they had to carry it for a mile. That was Roman law. They could, they could pull out somebody and say, carry my stuff for a mile. Jesus said, at the end of that mile, volunteer to go another mile. What was he saying? He's saying, in order for us to bring attention to how things are done in the kingdom of heaven, where we have, we, now remember, we have, what? We have a life here, we have a life in heaven at the same time. We've got a passport for both. He's saying, this way you're bringing the principles of the kingdom of heaven where, we're all, where everybody lives at peace with one another here on earth. And you're demonstrating them to the world. And he says, and this is really appropriate because of what took place on television just, what, a week or so ago? When Will Smith walks up to Kid Rock and hauls up and smacks him upside the head. Actually, Kid Rock handled it pretty well. And what happened here, what Jesus said, if somebody does that, say, hey, I got one more. Take a lick at it. If Kid Rock had done that, can you imagine the support that he got beyond what he already has gotten anyway. Because it was on every news program in the whole wide world, probably, certainly was here. I think Kid Rock was the one that was a friend of Brian's that Alice Kay actually told him he needed to clean up his act so you can give her a... because he has a tendency to be just a little bit dirty from time to time. Well, maybe a whole lot dirty from time to time. She told him to clean up his act. Sick him, Mama. Now then, I'm not done yet. The other thing that we have to do if we're ever going to get to that place where we can overcome evil with good is we have to learn to rely on prayer because I'm of the opinion, and this is a, a personal thing, I've learned that unless I immediately find a place to isolate myself to pray, after being hurt, I have a tendency to start falling into that category, how do I get even? But if I have time to isolate myself where the Spirit of God can speak to me, I then am able to start making headway in overcoming evil for good. Just in my own strength, I think I'm a total failure, to be honest with you. And I suspect you would be too. The other thing that you need to get straight in your mind is, is to understand that the Bible teaches that you and I as Christians, and this is another way that he explains it, you and I are to become ambassadors for God. Now, that's a pretty good job. An ambassador is what? It's an individual. Let's say uh, if you're an ambassador to Israel, you're a citizen of, of the U.S. who lives in Israel and represents the U.S. So he used this word ambassador, and it's found in, the, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.20. The Apostle Paul refers to that very clearly, just so you're not pulling your left leg here. I'm about done. I know, I know this has been a wagon full, but I'm telling you we desperately need it. So hang on to me here now. Uh, verse 20 here says this. The Apostle Paul is talking about himself. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, can you see why I said that we have a responsibility here? If you have been converted to Jesus Christ, he has said that each of us who have been converted... I'm going to have to take this thing off. It's flopping around here. Um... He has said to each of us, 
you are to represent your citizenship is in heaven, but you're here on earth, and as you are then ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom here on earth now. You represent Jesus Christ. I'm not piling this on you as a personal thing. I'm telling you it's as much of the scripture as the fact that God exists himself. And we've ignored this to our detriment for eons. So please listen and pay attention. You are to represent Jesus Christ. And it becomes more obvious the power of God when you're hurt and when you get angry and you respond with goodness. I'm telling you, it's one of the most beautiful things, and it's impressive to the lost and dying world. They set up and take notice. And the Bible says, whenever you do that, people will take such notice that they'll press into the kingdom of God. If you don't think, let's see what time it is here now. I've done so good that I need a raise. Okay. I want you to pay real close attention because I've, I've looked back through my life to try to find what was the most impressive thing that anybody who believed in Christ ever did that got the nation's attention in the most horrible of situations where anger and, and getting even would have been certainly justified in the eyes of almost everybody. Pay close attention to this clip that we're going to listen with both ears that we're getting ready to play. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son, Charlie, walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie that could not be. And yet it truly was, it was true, it was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later. What do, you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives, new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glore, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The principle of the kingdom of God is this. We need, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of each other, with our goal in mind of seeing that our God is honored and respected, to forgive others as we've been forgiven by Him, and to love others as He loves us, even those who have done us hurt. That's the way we overcome evil with good. And as difficult as that may sound, it is possible. And I urge you, consider it 
because it's a principle of the kingdom of God. And if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, and we all are if we've been born again, it's our responsibility to bring those principles to earth and use them so that our God is honored. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tired and I'm done. I want to say before we leave, it's good to have the, 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 uh, the, the rich people who go and just hang out in Florida all the time with us here. I see Doug and Susie back. I enjoy picking on people that are better off than I am. And they, we had some, the Burks were here last night, and, and Doug and Susie just got back this week, I think, from Florida, living in life of luxury and ease. And um, so, but it's good to have you all home always. It's good to see you. And for those who uh, don't forget that if you're a first timer, there's a little gift for you at the table where I think Matthew is probably standing there in, in a minute. And if you haven't gotten one of these books, get it, take it home, read it, and then share it with somebody. It's just $6. If you can't pay for it, you'll owe us. Let's have a word of prayer. If you're ready, are you ready to go? I guess not. Well, we'll do another sermon. That's okay. <laughs> Lord, thank you for loving us and helping us to understand that when we walk governed by your Spirit and not just our own selfish ways, that you can accomplish what the world thinks is a miracle. And maybe it is. I beg you, Lord, be patient with us as we, over a period of time, adopt your principles of the kingdom of heaven and try to live for them as we prepare to go there someday. Dismiss these, these brethren, Father, with a sense of your divine presence. And I pray that you'll fill each of them with the hope that they can achieve what can only be achieved through the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless them, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.